Something weird is happening to me and my wife, Penny. Something a little weird and a little wonderful. Like sometimes out of the blue and out of context, she'll be in one room and I'll be in the other room and we walk into a room together and we say the same thing to one another. It's just kind of weird, it just comes out of nowhere. Um, Or sometimes we'll be sitting, this happened just recently over dinner, and she'll say, I've been thinking about something, and I'll say, well, I've been thinking about something too, and then we say it to one another, and it's the exact same thing, and that's kind of weird, and it's kind of wonderful. We're two very differently wired people who are more and more thinking the same way, and I know we've been married a long time, but I would say that our character, our character now more resembles each other's character than at any other time in our lives. Now, there's a reason for this, and it has to do with the way the human brain works. Our brain is not a single unit. It has two processors, one on the right and one on the left. Uh, by the way, I'm going to do a little a little uh, toe in the water in neuroscience here. If you want to get a little more information on this, in the app notes, I have a couple of resources, including a fascinating video of a neuroscientist who had a stroke, and she come to realizations about right brain, left brain. Look in the app notes, fascinating. Um, So here is a, a toe in the water of neuroscience. Our right brain is where we develop attachments with other human beings, and we form emotional connections with others. The right side of our brain starts, this is what's interesting, starts processing our surroundings and draws conclusions before the left side, which is where conscious thought is formed, before the left side even is aware of what is happening. Stuff is already being formed in our brain on our right side. Now the left brain is the source of conscious thought, speech, strategies, problem solving, and logic. Left side of our brain is what we think of as our mind. The left side of the brain is where we hatch plans and form arguments and create beliefs and doctrines. Now comparatively, this is what's interesting, the right side of our brain is fast and the left side of our brain is slow. In other words, things are happening to me and my wife before we're consciously even aware of it Something is going on between us, and our right brain is picking that up even before it's formed in our brain. Hence, I have formed ideas and connections with my wife seemingly out of the blue, but they're not. Our right brains have attached to each other, and we're actually becoming mind to mind. Jim Wilder's written about this, and I love that he calls himself a neurotheologian. He said, the left brain runs at the speed of words, and the right brain runs at the speed of joy. Like I said, this is all very weird and very wonderful at the same time. So let's call what I just shared with you the preface to this message. If Barry, a couple of weeks ago, said he could have uh, appendices at the end of his message, I can have a preface Uh, in this message, and I'm going to return to those concepts I just shared with you in just a few moments, but um, first, I want to reintroduce myself to you. Uh, It's been almost three years since I stepped down from serving here at Grace, and I realized, especially at Easter service, which was unbelievable last week, how many people I do not know 
and I've never met before, and my guess is you probably never met me before. So um, I just wanted to say hello, I'm Dave Rodriguez, I'm Barry's dad. Okay, that's my bottom line. And I also want to address the question that I'm asked more often than any other when I come to church, and that is, how's retirement? I don't have a clue. I am not retired, and I never retired. I stepped away from leading here, but I launched an organization called Destiny Works, and I spend most of my time working with individuals from NFL football players to CEOs to soccer moms to retirees helping them figure out what is my purpose, what should I be doing, who am I, what should I be doing with my life. So I do that with individuals, I do, that work, I do workshops in that with corporations all over the country. So am I, how's retirement? I don't know, I'll tell you sometime if it ever happens. Um, and one way of reintroducing myself to you is uh, I wrote a book and in that book is the essence of what this church believes about calling and what it believes about the broken places of the world. And I've got a bunch of books left and I wanna give them to you uh, free, like no charge. And so I'll be out in the lobby and we have a bunch of the books out there. And if you, even if you have one, you wanna to give to a friend, come get one, please. I would love for you to have it. So have a book for free on me as a way of reintroducing myself to you. Okay, let me pray. And those of you online, good to join with you today. Let's pray and then we'll launch into this new series. Father, uh, simple prayer is that we'll be as uh, acutely aware of your presence as, as we have been all week long. Help us to pay attention, to get rid of distractions, so we can hear from you. I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Okay, the series is called Closer. It's about communing with God. It's about deepening our relational connection to God, specifically through worship. Now, I want to define worship most literally, worship, some people would say, is our expressions of adoration for God. Although people worship all kinds of people and things and inanimate objects even, we're talking about um, worship of God. So some people might say, well, okay, worship is expression, expressing the worth of God, our adoration of God. Here's another definition. Worship is an event in which adoration of God occurs, like I'm going to worship this morning, or I'm going to a worship service or worship gathering. More specifically, some people refer to worship as a, the, the part of a worship gathering, the musical part of a church gathering. Here, uh, if you're part of the worship team, they'll call it the worship block or the worship set, and it's specifically about music. Now, those are all legitimate definitions of worship, but here's an understanding of worship I would like you to consider. Worship is a thin space between heaven and earth in which you are as close to God as you can possibly be in this life. Now, ancient Celtic Christians talked often of thin spaces. The Scottish preacher George MacLeod described it this way, thin space is a place in which we sometimes see briefly through the veil as thin as gossamer that separates heaven and earth. Thin space. So with that in mind, the purpose of this series is to draw you into these thin spaces so that you will be as close to God as you can be 
And I'm going to suggest that when you do that, it will change you more than you can imagine. So here's the whole idea. Worship is a thin space between heaven and earth in which you are as close to God as you can possibly be in this life. And when you enter this space, you will be utterly changed. Now I want to show you today why that's true. And I'm going to tell you three stories. So if you want to grab a Bible, we'll start with story number one in Psalm 22 Um, page 461, if you're going to use a Bible that's uh, in the seat here uh, in the auditorium, Psalm 22. Now, this story is a story of David, and as we kick off this psalm in Psalm 22, verse 1, he is in this typical place where uh, his life is upside down, it's chaotic, it's a mess, and in Psalm 22, verse 1, he says this, my God... My God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you. My God, but you you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. It's typically where we find David reflecting on his life, which is a train wreck. But then we get to verse 3, and it says this, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of of Israel. Now, you may have heard that phrase interpreted different ways. So here are the different ways verse 3 has been interpreted. One, some people say, God inhabits the praises of his people. Have you heard that phrase? God inhabits the praises of people. That's Psalm 22.3. It could be God dwells in the worship of his people. Or God makes his home in the, wor- <clears throat> in the worship of his people. Or God sits in the word. All of these are legitimate translations of the word, uh, of the idea of enthroned, sits in the worship of people, or God pulls up the big chair. For those of you wondering if I am old and I just needed to sit down during the message, that's not why this chair is here. It is here to remind us that God pulls up the big chair when his people gather to worship. Or may I say this, God pulls up the big chair when you privately sit down and pay attention to the presence of God. God pulls up the big chair closer than you can imagine. Now, when we worship, we enter into a thin space in which God more or less, or for all intents and purposes, is sitting face to face with us. Can you let that sink in for a second? When we worship, whether it's in a corporate gathering or whether you're privately worshiping, God pulls up the big chair and is sitting face to face with you, by the way, whether you are aware of it or not. Now, I want you to see what happens when David enters this thin space. Now, as the psalm goes on in verse 6, he continues with his aggrievement. He said, I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. He's continually worked up. Verse 19, I'm just going to bop through this, through this uh, psalm. Oh, Lord, do not stay away from me, far away from me. And he just feels distant from God. But look at the tone change in verse 22. 
All of a sudden, he says, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. In other words, just a few verses before, he's saying, you're far away from me. I'm a worm. I'm, 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 I'm no one. I'm despised. And now he's saying, I'm going to praise you. Look at verse 24. For God has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them. He has listened to their cries for help. And the end of this psalm climaxes, and there's just one of the verses, verse 25, I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. And he goes from this transition from deep aggrievement and frustration and train wreck to the end where he is deeply enmeshed in worship of God and once again renewed in his closeness to the God of the universe. What happened? I believe that David entered the thin space. That God pulled up the big chair, sat in the presence of David, and David was changed. Now watch this. It was at this moment David's right brain began to become more attached to God, and he started to become more mind-to-mind with God, in the very same way that my mind works in attachment to my wife. And David started to have the same thoughts as God. See, worship is a thin space between heaven and earth in which you are as close to God as you can possibly be in this life. And when you enter this space, you will be changed. Story number two. We'll put these uh, verses on the screen. Isaiah 6, 1, unless you want to turn quickly in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Isaiah says this, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and attending him were mighty seraphim, these angels, each with having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, Two, they flew, and they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. That's what Isaiah experienced. Look what he says in verse 5. Then I said, Isaiah said, it's all over. I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then I heard God, the Lord, ask me, whom shall I send as a messenger to these people who will go for us? And he said, here am I, send me. My question is, what happened? Isaiah, and and, and in this case, I am not sure that he had much to do with this. He just had this vision where he was drawn into this thin space in which the veil between heaven and earth was nearly transparent. And at that moment, I believe Isaiah, if he were here today, would probably say, I, you know what, I was as close to God as I had ever been in my life. And his right brain kicked into gear. And he started connecting, attaching to the God who was sitting in the big chair, the throne. He started to share the mind of God 
And that's why deep within him, transformation, character transformation, happened almost instantly before his left brain could even wrap itself around what was happening. He was being transformed. And that's when he said, woe is me, and I don't, I don't like who I am, but yeah, I'll go. I'll do whatever you want me. It was just instantaneous. He didn't have to sit down. He didn't sit down and think, I'm going to strategize. I'm going to plan this. Okay, God, here's what I'm going to do. I will go and do exactly. He didn't think through it. He didn't need to. It's because his right brain had attached to the God of the universe, and things started changing and transforming him faster than he could even imagine. I'm telling you, worship is a thin space. And don't think between heaven way out there and earth right here. Think almost dimensionally around us here. Worship is a thin space between heaven and earth in which we are as close to God as we can possibly be in this life. And the question is, will you allow yourself to enter into this space so that you'll be changed. This is where character transformation happens. Story number three. Not about an individual, but a group of people, and you're gonna, this is a bit of an extrapolation, so stay with me here. One of the people that, and of course you know where I'm going at this point, a person who entered into a thin space um, happened to be a guy named John and his friends, um, and he's the writer of what I'm about to read to you from John chapter 1, verse 14, where John says this, So the word, referring to Jesus, became human, and look at this next phrase, made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John said that the word made his home among us, pulled up the big chair in our presence. Jesus himself, for the 33 years or so that he lived, and in particular those three years when he was around John and Mary and Martha and Peter and Matthew, everywhere he went, watch this, was a thin space. Everywhere Jesus, I mean, and now, go back and read the Gospels and understand it in that light, in that context, and it makes, there was even, it even makes sense that when Jesus met one of his disciples, one of the very first things he said to him, which is kind of bizarre and hard to understand, he said, oh, you think that's something? You're going to see angels uh, ascending and descending from heaven, coming in and out of heaven. He was saying, you are going to step into a thin space as you're walking with me and you're going to see things and experience things that you've never experienced in your life. All around Jesus, the veil between heaven and earth was as thin as gossamer. And doesn't this now make sense? how the young men and women who followed Jesus for a very short three years could undergo such unbelievable levels of character transformation. They lived for three years in a thin space between heaven and earth. 
It wasn't as if the disciples went into an intense time of learning. It's not like they were in the school of Jesus. It was an intense time of attachment. For three years, their right brains connected with Jesus. Their right brains functioned less at the speed of words and more at the speed of joy. And they became mind to mind with Jesus. It makes sense to me now how after three years, these young men and women could become world changers and actually step into the world after Jesus left with even channeling his own thoughts. They were transformed. Three years of right brain attachment. They actually became mind to mind with Jesus. Now here's a question. Can it be possibly true for us as it was for David, Isaiah, John, Mary, Martha, Peter? Could it be true that for us, worship could be a thin space between heaven and earth for us in which we could be as close to God as possibly, we can possibly be in this life? Could we enter into this space? If so, how? How do you do this? Now listen, I'm, I'm going to tell you that I don't think it's going to happen much with your left brain. And this is a problem for Western Christianity because most of what we do as Western evangelical Christians is with our left brain. Now, the left brain is effective in learning, but it's less effective in character transformation. So how can we engage our whole brain in relationship with God, not just the left? So, let me break this down. With our left brain, we do Bible study, we listen to sermons, we grow in knowledge, we memorize scripture, we study theology, we form doctrine, and we practice apologetics. That's all left brain stuff, all good. But it's with our right brain that connection happens where we practice contemplation and expectancy and prayer and listening and waiting and paying attention. Now, I'll stop there and just, when you look at that list, you realize that we, as Western Christians, are not really good at right brain stuff. This is not what we're practiced in. This is not what we do. We do all the left brain stuff a lot, but I want to tell you the left brain is great. It's good to know these things and form doctrine, but watch this. Your left brain will not transform your character as much as your right brain will. Maybe this is one of the reasons why we struggle with personal transformation because we try to do it with our left brain. Thomas Merton, 20th century Trappist monk and writer suggested that the practice of God's presence involves listening and waiting 
in expectancy. That's very right-brained of him. Listening and waiting in expectancy so that we can be in his presence and close to him in this thin space. I want to ask you this, 21st century Christians, how good are you at waiting? You can say terrible, that's all right. How good are you at listening? Very bad. How good are we at taking the time to sense the presence of God? So practically, how do we practice entering into these thin spaces with God, whether it's alone or together? Here's a few suggestions. You have to remove the distractions. You have to, and you get rid of the phone. If you, ha- if you walk into a worship service and your phone is on silent, that's not removing distractions. These be off. You have to be present, not thinking, what are we going to do later or what's next week? You have to relax because most of our life, most of your life, I'm going to go right on a limb and suggest that most of your life is lived this way. We're gripping. We've got to learn to relax and to breathe and wait. On February 8th, just over two months ago, a few students of Asbury University stayed late after a chapel service, just singing and praying and waiting. They didn't leave. And what has been termed a revival broke out. And thousands of people came from all over the world to experience it. To experience it. it was all over social media. I read about it and paid attention to it. What happened there? Well, a thin space opened up at that school. God pulled up the big chair. There was no preaching, no service projects, nothing more than singing and prayer and confession. And for two weeks, People who were there were as close to God as they've ever been in their lives. The result, they became mind-to-mind with God, and their character was transformed. I would say that's a little bit weird and a little bit wonderful. See, worship is a thin space between heaven and earth in which you are as close to God as you can possibly be. And when you enter the space, you will be changed. So can we practice for the last few moments? Remove distractions. Get ready for this. I'm going to play a song for you. It's called Ubi Caritas. It's in Latin. It's one of the earliest Christian hymns written in the late first century. This arrangement is by a Norwegian composer. His name is Ola Jelo. And the singers are Voces 8, one of the most wonderful acapella singing groups that you'll ever hear. Um, It's one of the earliest Christian hymns, and it's in Latin. You won't understand the words. I'll read a few of them to you. But I want you to allow it to draw you into the presence of God who is here. So remove the distractions. Be present. 
Stay with me here. Relax, everybody. Just relax. Relax. Take a deep breath in. Go ahead. Let it out. If you have to close your eyes, close your eyes. If not, let's just wait on the God who is here. charity and love are, God is there. Christ's love has gathered us into one. Let us rejoice and be pleased in him. Let us fear and let us love the living God.
where charity and love are, God is there. And may we with the saints also see thy face in glory, O Christ our God. Father, help us to sense your presence and to attach to you in new ways so that we can be utterly transformed. I pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.